Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime. Hi, Kaylin. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you, honey? It's been a long day, but we're getting through it. <laughs> Good. So, my, I'm kind of proud of my case this week. I think, other than our very first My Idaho case, I think this might be the only one that I've chosen completely on my own. <laughs> Without your help, so I'm kind of proud of that. Fact. I did. I did find a few that I thought you'd like, did but you? I was like, "No, I'll let her do it herself." I have to say, I was waiting this <laughs> week for <laughs> for the text, and it never came. So I'm like, "Dang, I'm gonna have to do this myself." That's so. probably because I also I waited till last minute for mine. Okay. So <laughs> usually, Kaylin's way ahead on her cases, and I'm the procrastinator. So I've been slacking lately. Well. I'm glad I'm rubbing off on you. <laughs> so we are going to the lovely state of New York. Yes. And I've already sort of done a murder in New York because when I did the Black Sisters of Virginia, the murder that finally got them prosecuted actually happened. happened. Yeah. But so my person today is a woman named Lizzie Halliday, and she's much like Lizzie Borden. But way more evil. She did a lot more stuff. And I was shocked that I'd never heard of her. So she has the distinction of being New York's first known female serial killer. Ooh. Yes. And like I said, she's she's something else. So I found it very interesting when I was researching her. I did look at, there was a lot of um, sites that kind of, retold the uh you know newspaper articles from the time when she committed her crime but i found it really interesting because one of the articles that i read one of the longer ones was actually from soldier of fortune magazine and i found it very interesting that soldier of fortune decided to do a whole long yeah. article on her which they entitled the worst woman on earth <laughs> which she might have been. I don't Maybe. know. She's pretty naughty. So anyway, so Lizzie was born Elizabeth McNally. She was actually born in Ireland. Uh, the Soldier Fortune magazine, actually, they were a little iffier on some of their facts. And it, I think that article came out in 2018. than some of the other sources that I looked at, which I thought were interesting, but... Most of the sources agree that she was born in Ireland in 1864 and that her family immigrated in 1867. And so this was a time when there was a lot of immigration coming, especially from Ireland and other places in Europe that back then also had people screaming that they wanted a wall. And I can just see that her case probably would have been one of those that would have added fuel to that fire. Um... Her family settled first in Pennsylvania, and when she, in 1879, which would have made her 15 years old, she married, and she had a son, so yeah, she was very young, I like the look you just gave me, <laughs> and her, her husband died very soon after of quote-unquote natural causes. So she killed him. Probably. Okay. Given given her later proclivities, yes, very likely he <laughs> it wasn't as natural as it seemed. And she had her son committed to an institution for the feeble minded. That's rude. So at fifteen she didn't have a lot of well developed maternal instincts. And 
She definitely was on her way to developing these black widow proclivities. She married many more times. Um, her second marriage was to a man named Artemis Brewster that the Fortune or the Soldier of Fortune magazine article described him as a broke down veteran from Greenwich Village. And I'm assuming that he was a veteran of the Civil War because he was much older than Lizzie. And <clears throat> she seemed to like to marry men who were much older than she. It was well known that she abused him. She would beat him, pull his hair. And he was dead within the first year of their marriage. Jeez. So, once again, was this... Nah, she killed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then here's where the chronology was a little off. So her next two relationships, her next marriage is to a man named George Smith. And then she has another relationship with a man named Hiram Parkinson. And different sources that I found flipped the two. One of them placed Hiram between her marriages. The other one said, no, she married George Smith and then Hiram. So Are they both dead too? Uh, well, yep. let me... <laughs> she killed them not, too. Not quite, not quite. <laughs> so George Smith, who does become her third husband, was actually a, a veteran with her second husband, Artemis Brewster. He had witnessed the ill treatment of his friend and former comrade in arms, yet he married her anyway. So I don't know if Lizzie had the ability to be very charming when she wanted to be or what the case was. But again, within a very short time, she poisoned his tea and then ran off. Yep. And <laughs> so, although he did survive, George, oh. George did survive the poison tea. So the next person that she ran off with him was a man named Hiram Parkinson. Sources disagreed as to whether or not they were married or just lovers for a while. Anyway, they were together for some period of time, married, maybe not married, and then they broke up. However, Hiram Parkinson was never heard from again. And again, that he may have been another victim. And so this is one of the things with Lizzie. There are five victims that everybody agrees, yes, she definitely killed these people. The Soldier of Fortune magazine article actually listed the number of her victims as 10. And other sources said definitely there were more. Exactly how many, it's hard to know. So gotcha. part of this is, I think, the records from back then. And, I mean, even today we know that, you know, we still don't even know exactly how many people Ted Bundy killed or yeah. some of our very infamous, well-researched serial killers. It's hard to know. Anyway, after this third marriage and relationship with Hiram Parkinson, she travels to Vermont. One of the sources said that she took all of the household goods that were she had with her, her third husband that she poisoned with the tea, that she also stole everything and headed to Vermont. And it seems to be around this time that she started to go by Lizzie. So um, she then marries her fourth husband and this one is the only one who is fairly close to her in age, a man named Charles Playstyle. Again, she's only with him for two weeks. She flees and leaves the state. However, it seems like Charles survived. She just abandoned him. So he gets off lucky. In between, she might have married some other guy in here. Again, we don't know. So... Where things do kind of start to coalesce and it's a little easier to follow the timeline, 
by 1888, she is now, what would she be, 24 years old? So she's done a lot in a short period <laughs> <Yeah>. of time. <laughs> she is reunited with her son, whom apparently she had released from an institute, from the institution for the feeble-minded, although I never was able to find out what happened to him. So he just apparently came back in her life and then disappeared again. And she shows up at the home of a childhood friend named Margaret McQuinlan. And apparently the McQuinlans and Lizzie's family had been friends back in Ireland. And they had also all immigrated to the United States around the same time and retained their friendship. Margaret is married and living in Newburgh, New York. And this seems to be how, she, how Lizzie gets to New York. She boards there for a while, but only for a short period of time. And then she goes back to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she rents an apartment and then decides she needs more money. So she sets it on fire for the insurance money. And in addition to destroying her own apartment, she also destroyed the buildings on either side of it. So she is caught and does a stint in prison for two years for arson and fraud. In 1891, she gets out. And despite this long and storied past of hers, she finds a man named Paul Halliday in his 70s in Burlingame, New York, whom she marries. Once again. <laughs> <laughs> so, apparently, big shocker here, this was not a very happy marriage. Of course not. And there were some sources that quoted Paul as saying that she had been his housekeeper and that the only reason he married her was so he didn't have to pay her. So, we don't know. There was a story, too, that during this marriage with Paul, she eloped with a neighbor, that they ran off together for a short period of time, and then the neighbor had second thoughts or whatever and abandoned her, and she ended up in asylum for a short period of time, and then got Paul to spring her. So, like I said, there's a lot going on here, and it was kind of hard to piece it together <laughs> based on some of these sources. At any rate, supposedly after Paul springs her from the asylum and brings her back home, again... There's a fire in a building that's described as a cabin that was owned by the by uh, the Halliday family. And Paul Halliday's younger son, he had two sons from a previous marriage, is killed. And there are also, there were some reports that this younger son may have been, also had some sort of learning disabilities. Despite her past and the fact that she had spent two years in prison for arson. Nobody's very suspicious about the fire. Strange. And again, yeah, at the time anyway. Now I'm, I think most people probably assume that she had something to do with that. And then in 1893, her husband just disappears. People stop seeing him. This does make the local authorities suspicious. So they go into the house and they start searching they find a section of carpet and a cut of rope in the house, both of which are stained with blood. And they find a bullet, probably a casing, beneath the bed. They continue searching. They make their way out to the barn. And they dig up the floor out there. But 
there's no Paul. There's no husband. However, there are two other bodies. What? <laughs> what? The bodies of Margaret McQuinlan and her daughter, Sarah. And Sarah, it's very obvious, has been shot three times in the heart. I believe Margaret was also shot. And they had gone missing the end of August, beginning of September. So the police continue searching. They go back into the house, and below the floor of the main house, they find the mutilated corpse of her husband, and he had also been shot in the heart twice. Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So they find a loaded revolver and two boxes of ammo, and they're pretty much done looking at things. Uh, however, they continue searching on the property and they find a local peddler's body as well. Oh my God. <laughs> there's so many dead people. There are. I can't. <laughs> and what's amazing about this is there's dead people that they didn't even know were dead or the, nobody yeah. seems to be searching for. You know, they look for the husband and they get three other corpses as well. The locals, of course, want to hang her immediately as locals so often do. However, and I know how much you hate this. She probably sat on death row for like 25 <laughs> years before they did anything about it. Not quite. She does end up, though, spending a year in jail waiting for trial. Okay. That's, for trial? For trial. So this is for her trial. And the only person that they seem to put her on trial for murder is Margaret McQuinlan. And I'm not sure why, but we're just going to go ahead here. So... During the year that she's in jail, Lizzie starts acting really wacky. She'll scream, she rants, she raves, mm. she stops doing any sort of personal grooming. She at one point cut her throat and arms. The Soldier of Fortune magazine said that she did it with a piece of metal that she had gotten from the heel of her shoe. Other sources that I found said she found a broken piece of glass. There were also reports that she tried to hang herself, that she had ripped her dress and then used the cloth to try to fashion a noose. The sheriff has had it with her, so he orders her chained to the floor to inhibit her movement. I'm not sure exactly... That's very humane. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how, you know, she was restrained, but anyway... She then pulls one of our, you know, the Black Sisters of Virginia, how they all did the, the hunger strike thing. Mm -hmm. She also refuses to eat and tries to starve herself, but they uh, force feed her, So, which back then was pretty unpleasant. So. I mean, she was already chained to the floor. Why not shove stuff down her throat? I, I guess, well, one of the reports I said said they did it up through the nostrils. So I'm Ooh. not sure. Yeah. I, I know. It makes more sense, a tube down the throat, but who knows? So finally, on the 18th of June, 1894, her trial begins and she pleads innocent. And like your case of Susan Smith and so many others out there, she tries to blame a maligned minority for the murders. Her claim? There's a band of gypsies that she claims traveled around the local countryside 
And that they had come in and murdered all of these people, and she's innocent. And they hit them under the floorboards and in the barn, and, <laughs> Again. and killed all of her previous husbands as well. <laughs> they just followed her around and killed everybody. <laughs> I don't, I, like I said, I there's so much more about this. There's a couple of books out there that I'm definitely going to put on my list, because I need to know every detail about this woman. She's just fascinating. So one of the witnesses that's called to testify at her trial explains that she had tricked Margaret McQuinlan. Now remember, they, you know, this is a woman she had known for a long time. They had been friends. She supposedly had told Margaret that there was a job cleaning a boarding house for I think it was $2 a day, which was a fair amount of money back then. And so Margaret had traveled. Here's the thing. I don't know what her real motive here was. You know, with each of the husbands that she killed, obviously there's money involved, right? I mean, whether it's the insurance policy or you get, you know, you kill him, you you get everything, right? Yeah. I, I don't understand what her thing is with Margaret. She I, probably just liked killing people. There seems to be a little bit of that here, maybe. So be, The money and the property was probably just a plus. Right, right. So shortly after Margaret arrives, because remember, Margaret and her daughter are, you know, reported missing within just a few days apart here. She sends word to Margaret's husband and says that Margaret has been injured. Margaret's husband says, well, I'm going to, I'll come take care of her. And Lizzie's like, no, 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 you, you don't do that. You, you can't do that. Just send your daughter to nurse her. And so this is how the daughter ends up at her house and <laughs> under the barn floor with her mother. Again, why she targeted these two women, I don't know. And frankly, I, you know, I, it might be out there, but the few resources I looked at, none of them mentioned a motive. That's weird. Yeah, for these murders. So, it seems pretty cut and dried. And in fact, on the 27th of June, she was found guilty. Okay. All right. However, <laughs> she's not done. Of course not. On her way out of the courtroom, as she's being escorted out, the sheriff, the same one who had ordered her chained to the floor and force-fed and everything, I'm assuming he's helping to escort her out because that's kind of what sheriffs do. She manages to bite him on the hand. Now, he was wearing gloves, and even through his gloves, she bit him hard enough that he ends up getting an infection that is so bad, it kills him. What? <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't understand. First of all, lucky her. She's How? the only murderer I've come across and as horrific as my Illinois case was with the biting and you know what he did to that poor woman and that might also have led to her death. But yeah, I seem to be on a string now of murderers who bite and possibly kill people. So anyway, the sheriff dies and originally she is sentenced to the electric chair. She is also the first woman in the state of New York to be thus sentenced. However... That's not how she died. No. Ah. I knew you wouldn't like this part. <laughs> so, obviously, given the way she had acted within that year in the jail, like I said, we do have this previous possible time that she spent in the asylum. A group of physicians do, in fact, 
give her a very thorough examination and they do say, no, she's crazy. She is insane. And so the then governor of New York, a man named Governor Flowers, grants her clemency. So she doesn't ever make it to the electric chair. Yeah. And in fact, changes her sentence. She is sentenced for life. So that part I thought you'd like to uh, Madawan Prison for the Criminally Insane. Okay. I mean, it's not the electric chair, but I guess we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and given, you know, we've, I think we've mentioned before to just, you know, probably these, you know, insane asylums and, you know, prisons for criminally insane might have been worse yeah. in a lot of ways. And this is where, though, I have to tell you, I started to question just how insane she might be. And that's because, given her past and all these things she's done, there was another person at the prison who was described by one of the sources, at least, as being even more dangerous than Lizzie. And this was a woman named Jane Shannon. Now, here's why I started to question the insanity. And maybe this is just personal bias. I don't know. I don't know how, how much careful planning the insane are truly able to do. But this woman, Jane Shannon and Lizzie, didn't like one of the attendants in the prison. And they felt like this woman was, I don't know, rude to them or, or whatever. So in 1897, they lay in wait for her. They separate her, get her off by herself, get her to the floor. They stuff a towel in her mouth so she cannot scream. And that's why I said there's a lot of careful planning that went into this. And once they have her down, they begin to pull out her hair, scratch her face, and they beat her unconscious. Luckily, she's found before they're able to kill her. And she does survive this horrific attack. Oh, my gosh. But like I said, that's a lot of careful planning that went into that. Yeah. And that's what made me, th you know, and like I said, I don't know. Maybe you can be that stealthy and still be, quote, unquote, insane. I'm not sure. Um, but another six years pass. And again, I, I got two different stories on this. The Soldier of Fortune article said that she's fairly stable during those six years. Other sources said that throughout her time in the hospital, she's volatile, she's dangerous, she's constantly lashing out and attacking people who work there. I also have to question how insane she actually is due to the time. Because I think that their testing of the insane is very different than True. it is now. So and she might not be as insane to us as she was to them then. Too, and I also wonder the fact that she's a woman. Do you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? That they, you know, there's all of those gender stereotypes about women being the fairer sex, the gentler sex, and to have somebody who is this voraciously violent yes. and homicidal in that time period. That's a good point. So anyway, um, for the next six years. Things go on. There's nothing incredibly, I guess, notable in her case until there is a new person who is put in charge of the women's unit. And she's a young woman. She's only 24. Her name is Nellie Wicks. And despite, you know, our assumptions of how horrific a lot of these places were, 
Nellie Wicks seems to have been very forward-thinking. She was described as being very kind and a person who had a very good rapport with the inmates. So I found that very interesting. And in fact, she does form a special bond with Lizzie. And Lizzie seems to be equally fond of her. And her behavior must have improved enough at least for, you know, long enough while Nellie Wicks is in charge because she is given a number of special privileges during this time. Yeah. And, yeah, that's not going to work out so well. So Nellie Wicks, after however long she was in charge of the women's unit, does decide that she's going to pursue her education and become a full medical nurse. She makes this announcement to the prisoners, and Lizzie is furious. She does not want Nellie to leave. So, of course, first she begs and pleads to have, you know, that you need to stay, whatever. When Nellie Wicks continues to say, no, I, I'm going to leave, Lizzie then becomes threatening. And she is, again, she does say outright, I'm going to kill her. So one morning, around 8 a.m., she follows Nellie into a bathroom, knocks her down, takes her keys, locks the bathroom door. So again, there's a lot of planning here. Do you know what I'm saying? This yeah. isn't just, uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem to me that these are just... Crimes of, of opportunity. Yes, exactly. Like, she has really thought this through carefully. Steals her keys, locks the door... Lizzie had been allowed a pair of scissors for sewing, and she had them on her. She stabs Nellie Wicks over 200 times oh my gosh. in the face and head. Oof. And Nellie still lives for an hour after they're able to get her out of the bathroom. What? Yes. First of all, you don't give someone that dangerous a pair of scissors. This, yeah, this is where I'm just like, what, what were you thinking? And, and again, I don't know how, con you know, how convincing was Lizzie able to be? And again, this is what makes me really question the insanity thing. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, how were you able to act placid and trustworthy enough that you earned all of these, you know, these Special privileges? privileges up to a pair of scissors, and then you turn around and do something like this. So, again, lots of stealth, lots of planning. She seemed very smart. She does, and very cunning. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, after they, you know, manage to break into the bathroom and they are taking her to solitary, she said very calmly, she won't leave me now. What? That was her comment. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, what else are you going to do? She's already, right, in a prison for the criminally insane. She's already there for life. So there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any other real punishment that's put upon her. There are a lot of reports, of course, in the newspapers and magazines at the time. She did earn a lot of different nicknames. You know, her first trial was very, very sensational. And then after she murdered Nellie Wicks, she was back in the press quite a bit. Some of her nicknames, she was called the Wolf Woman of Sullivan County. There were some reports at the time that she was actually Jack the Ripper, although <laughs> completely unfounded. It's just the fact that she was 
so incredibly brutal and you know everybody was Jack the Ripper because they couldn't find him yeah the one thing that I found especially interesting is in her trial when she claimed that there were these quote-unquote gypsies you know roaming the countryside and they were the ones responsible for these murders over time the press kind of changed that and she became known as the Gypsy Queen, and the press was reporting that she was in charge of this band. And there were stories that were told that, like, her victims had each been shot five times in the heart, you know, and it got this kind of almost supernatural sort of association with it. So there was a lot of fiction that was floating around both within her lifetime and shortly thereafter. And with all of this craziness and all of this violence, she dies quietly on the 28th of June, 1918, at the age of 58. Well, do we know how she died? It didn't say. I mean, 58 was fairly young, but of course, you know, it could have been a simple infection. There's lots of different diseases. With that, that time period. Yes. Yeah, it was yeah, there doesn't seem to be anything at all nefarious or, yeah. They just, every report just said she died quietly. At the age of 58. I feel like, okay, with the whole <laughs> claiming her to be insane, sending her to a hospital or a, a prison for the right. criminally Right, and it, it was a prison for the criminally insane. But. I feel like once she starts attempting to kill and the uh, more people, send her to jail and have her executed. Carry out the original yes. sentence. Yeah, I, like I said, I don't know. This is a, This is a really problematical case in a lot of ways yeah. and she's so young when she starts I mean I I think most people agree that yes she pretty much probably killed her first husband mm -hmm. who was considerably older than she she was 15 when she married him like I said what bothers me about it is how cunning and carefully planned this is do you know what I'm saying this isn't yeah. you know she knows she could be caught because both of those attacks at the criminally insane prison, you know, are very carefully planned. You know, the one with the accomplice, the one without, they're very careful to make sure they're not going to be interrupted by others. You see, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I'm very conflicted about this. Yeah. But she is evil. Yes, yeah, she is. One way or the other. Whether she's crazy evil or just evil evil, she's evil. Yeah, I wish they they should have just electrocuted her when they had the chance. I knew this one would bother you, so yeah. That's okay, mine'll bother you too. Okay. So. <laughs> so, all right. So Thursday we will return to the lovely state of New York mm -hmm. for Kaylin's next case. Yes. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And follow our Facebook, our Instagram, and our Twitter. And join our discussion page. Bye. Bye.